Welcome back, AAP subscribers and AAP podcast listeners. Chris Versace here, and once again, I am joined by the one, the only, Todd Campbell, editor supreme, in charge, if you will, of Street Smarts. Todd, been a t- been a, been a minute. How you doing, Chris? I'm doing good. I'm glad to be back on the show. Happy to talk to you and find out what you think's going on. Share some thoughts. Share some ideas. All right. All right. Well, you know, it's uh, as we're taping this, Todd, it's September 13th. That means we do have the August CPI report. Uh, we actually haven't had an AAP podcast or a fresh one in uh, you know a couple of weeks. Last week, we had the big September members only call, which, of course, is uh, open to all subscribers of the Action Alerts podcast. Be sure to check thestreet.com for more info on how to subscribe for that. Uh, and of course, while you're there, check out Street Smarts as well, which Todd oversees. Um, so I'm happy to be back in the swing of things. Um, you know, I've got a I've got a special uh, preview, Todd. Take a guess who's going to be on the next episode of the AAP podcast. Oh, geez. Well, we have. Well, I can to tell you who it's not. I can tell you it's not. It's not you. It's not me. <laughs> uh, well, a uh, Bruce Helene, Doug. I mean, we got we got a great stable to choose well, you from. Well, you 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 got to give me a pick. Uh, I'm going to say that it's going to be, well, Carly was just on, right? Mm, a little while ago, yeah. Okay, well, Carly. Nope. Love when Carly's on. Oh, I guess. <laughs> it's going to be the Divine Ms. M. Oh, I should have gone with it. Yes, yes. So, so, well, so for those, so for those who don't know who I'm referring to, that is going to be Helene Meisler, editor of uh, Top Stocks over at the Street, and a, uh, I would say, correct me if I'm wrong on this, Todd, probably one of the better known chartists and technical analysts around. She would, she would probably hate it to, for me to say that she's a legend, but yeah, I mean, I think she's, she's, uh, she, you know, is definitely one who knows her stuff. Been there, done that, and um, absolutely worth listening to. I mean, if you're at all interested in technical analysis, I mean, she's she's one of the go-to's. And honestly, uh, I don't know about you, Chris, but I love I love her oscillators. I, I really find them helpful. And maybe she'll talk a little bit about those when she's on the show next week. Well, I, I hope so. You know, the great thing about um, the Action Alerts Plus. Uh, product is that you you alluded to this, but you know we we do tap into a bunch of different folks, uh, but Helene is actually on the monthly call once a quarter, and she reviews, you know, uh, ten ten to twelve stocks. So it's always great to get her insight. She's an, it, there. It, it's simply wonderful and arguably invaluable. That's what I would say. So, but with that, Todd, let's uh, let's troll along as we say in the world of Trivial Pursuit, and. Uh, what did you think of the August CPI report? Oh, okay. So hmm, that's there's a lot there to unpack. Um, in is there? The, wait, wait, wait. Is there though? Because I, I well, okay. So from my perspective, there is only because I've got a tug of war, a battle going on in my brain right now about inflation. So last fall, um, I felt really confident that the stock market was going to do well in 2023 because. I did a walk forward of various commodities. Okay, in November, if they stay at this level, what will that mean year over year? Right, March right. of 23 or June of 23. And all of them were significantly lower with usually the peak benefit was around June. And because that's when we had that, the spike in CPI last year was June mm-hmm, 2022 mm-hmm. when it was up 9.1%. Before coming on the show today, I updated all of those walk forwards and they don't look nearly as good anymore. 
So, so hang on, hang on. When you say that, are are you saying that they're stalling out, flatlining, or or are they like with gas prices, oil prices, are they kind of reaccelerating higher? Well, and listeners, you can do this at home just by using um, proxies. So use ETF proxies. You can do the DBC, which is the broad commodity uh, ETF, the DBA, which get you the agricultures. Um, I also like to throw in the the dollar because obviously a lot mm-hmm. of multinational companies. So I like to see what the dollar year over year looks like it could be doing. Chris, the takeaway is that they're all up and they're all have the chance of being up relatively significantly as we push into early 2024. If we were to maintain at these levels, and this is where right. the tug of war comes in, right? So if you look at the CPI report, and I'm sure you'll you'll hit the headline number and what the core CPI number was and all that. But if you look at those numbers, Energy was the big impact to the mm-hmm. headline, and shelter was the big he- impact on core. And both of those, I think, could actually revert back to tailwinds or be tailwinds from here, just by looking at on energy let's, seasonality hang on, and on hang shelter, on, hang on. just the lagging effect. Let's let's just be clear when we use the word tailwinds, right? Because typically that pushes tends to be positive. So are you saying that for energy and shelter, those tailwinds would translate into lower prices. Correct. Okay. Correct. So, so energy tends to peak out after we sw- refiners swap to the winter grade mix of fuel. And mm-hmm. that usually happens mid-September, early October. So you start to get a peak in oil and also coincides with post-Labor Day, when miles driven tends to drop off because of course the summer driving season's over. Right, right. So but- you tend to get this weakness in oil prices that comes into the market sometime between the middle of September and the middle of October. My feeling would be that if seasonality holds true, and that is an if, but it's a pretty established seasonal trend. I mean, you can go on the Department of Energy even has a white paper on it. Um, so you can look at these things. You can say to yourself, well, if that's the case, then we could be at the peak input of energy right now, roll back off. And by the time we get to November, getting the cart way in front of the horse here, by the time we get to the November Fed meeting, we may have just gotten October CPI. Maybe October CPI won't look so bad. I don't so, know. Again, the tug so of the, war the only, that's going on in my head. So the only pushback I, ha- I have on that is the production cuts that have been extended and what that might mean. Right. Both by the Saudis and, and Russia's doing some stuff, too. So, you know, with with oil in particular, there's always that push pull between, you know, demand and supply. And, you know, right. but they cut the, production last fall. They cut production. last. I, I, oh, I know. Winter. I know. And, and I know. Prices still went down. I mean, you can only you know, there's demand is the other side of that of that equation. Right. So I guess yes. a lot of it would depend on whether or not China finally does start well, to beat them or yeah, yeah. whether or not Ukrainian fuel Correct. comes down under the market. Correct. Or, the, 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 the other side is, does the U.S. economy continue to chug along better than expected? Because, you know, I, I think everybody would agree that, you know, you look at some of the Atlanta Fed GDP now numbers, nobody was expecting those type of figures, you know, six months ago, you know, and we'll, we, we will see what happens. We all know or should all know that that is simply a rolling forecast as more data becomes available on the current quarter. So that does not mean that anybody really expects the economy to be the economy in the current quarter to be 5.5, 5.6% GDP. You know, if you trace the Atlanta Fed GDP now model back, uh, there's all sorts of revisions, you know, higher, lower, down, jumping up, jumping down. So you, you really need to be careful with that. But 
to your point, Todd, you know, you know, China, if it does get its house in order and the economy comes back on, if the U.S. continues to perform better than expected, and I think now the only economy in the eurozone that's expected to hit a recession is Germany, big economy, but perhaps the only one, the demand picture runs the risk of being slightly better than some people might be fearing. That's what I would say. Yes. <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to debate that, right? I mean, it, I mean, this is all guesswork at this point because none right, of us have, right. have crystal balls that, that are functional. But I mean, I, I do, you know, I, I think that history does tend to rhyme. Um, and it, it, it wouldn't shock me. Let's just say this. It wouldn't shock me if we are over the course of the next, maybe we get another week or two push up in energy and maybe they start to retreat again. And that's not to say that I don't like energy stock. I like energy service stocks. I don't like E&P, uh, exploration production stocks, but that's a, that's a conversation for another day perhaps. But I think that when it comes to inflation, one of the other concerns that I have as I do that walk forward that I was talking about, Chris, is that a lot of the enthusiasm or optimism in stocks seems to be tied to the fact that now we're starting to model valuation based on 2024, right? So the improvement in the back half of 2023 and then improving earnings in 2024. Well, if inflation does remain stubborn and accelerate, there that's going to be a tax on margins. So some of the tailwinds perhaps that, that companies have enjoyed uh, the last few months as inflation has fallen most dramatically could become headwinds to profitability. And if that causes downward revisions, the S&P valuation starts to climb. We get back above 19 and 20. And then the forward outlook gets a little bit tougher for, you know, based on historical returns when you get to PE levels that high. Yeah, no, totally agree. I mean, you know, even a couple of weeks ago, the market's PE was hovering around somewhere between 20 and 21 times forward numbers. Uh, not great. That's typically where it tends to peak out. You know, so I, I agree with you, but I also do have concerns about that mythical 11% EPS growth that we're going to get in 2024, Todd. Um, you know, I, I think we've joked before that, you know, sometime in the middle of the year, the forward year, uh, somehow magic, auto magically, as they say, uh, EPS is going to grow 10%. And then, you know, it just tends to sag like a bad balloon more often than not. Yeah, so, and you were on the sell side. Actually, Tom Lee, when he was doing the, when he had that great uh, event with you and and Doug and Helene in, in New mm -hmm. York, I think he even said this, the beginning of the year, you start with a straight line of 15% growth and then you whack it back. Yeah, I mean, I you know, I keep a, a running spreadsheet of um, consensus expectations, both for the year and for the quarter. And, you know, on and sorry, for the year on an annual basis and on a quarterly basis. And I, I track it and I update it you know, almost every Friday when FactSet puts out its great uh, earnings insight piece. And, you know, I always tend to track second half earnings expectations versus the first half. And AAP members, you've heard me write about this probably more than you care to read. Uh, but it's, it is something that I really tend to follow. And, you know, sometimes those expectations for the year are very back end loaded. And invariably, you have to measure what's going on you know, in the economy and in other areas to gauge how realistic or how probabilistic, I should say, those forecasts are. Um, you know, some people have never met a forecast that they didn't like, and I can't tell you how many uh, presentations I've seen with forecast, Todd, that are, you know, the proverbial hockey stick, invariably turning out to be wrong. So you just, we, 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 we just need to be mindful and careful as we assess those. But I agree with you, though, 
um, just to bring us all the way back, I do think that the focus now for inflation is going to be the September and October data. Uh, I agree that you know we're going to want to watch the commodities as an indicator. I'm also a little concerned, though, about wages. And I say that because the Teamster UPS agreement is starting to kick in. You know, it'd be very interested to see what happens between the UAW, excuse me, the UAW and the big three. Amazon has just announced that they're going to pay uh, third-party drivers more. And if I remember correctly, I think United and another airline are finishing up their own contract negotiations. So I, I do think there could be some incremental pressure on wages. Yes. Uh, and we should not ignore that. I mean, you had UPS obviously cut that big deal with its workers. Right. Um, American was the one who just, American Arab, they were the ones who just inked the contract with pilots. And this morning they came out and said, by the way, uh, we're revising our guidance lower, mm -hmm. partially because we have to make some retroactive pay um, back and because jet fuel prices went up. Um, uh, we did, you know, so I think that we can't ignore that. UAW, like you said, we get that. On the other side of things, I thought it was interesting last week, the news oh, that Walmart, Walmart yeah, yeah, Walmart cutting um, starting pay for certain jobs um, involved in its online business, you know, picking in the stores for curbside pickup and and restocking shelves, cutting pay by a dollar per hour, which is not a which is a pretty significant cut to starting pay uh, when you're talking about wages that run 13 to 18 bucks an hour. Um, so perhaps. There's it it will depend on whether or not you're talking about kind of like the historically unionized parts of the market versus the historically non-unionized parts of the market. I don't know. I mean, this whole jobs market <clears throat> is so bizarre, right? Because well, you know, one, one would have assumed by now we would have seen way more um, job loss than we have, given how much agreed. interest rates increased. Totally agree. But I mean, like, you know, earlier this week, the NFIB uh, Small Business Optimism Index came out. Not not a lot of changes, to be honest with you. You know, they still can't hire who they're looking for. People or this small businesses are once again considering paying more to get the people they need. So my 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 concern here, just as we gauge out the factors of inflation and those that the Fed will be watching, is that you know there are a couple different areas we need to watch. Core CPI is one. You know, the PCE price index is another. Wage data is yet another. And I don't. I, I think the mistake that folks might be making is the Fed is going to do X based on this one particular data point. I do not think that is going to be the case. I, I think they're going to, you know, take a look and see <clears throat> what does the preponderance of data tell them and then act accordingly. I, I think that they're going to be very careful so that they don't start cutting rates too soon. And, you know, everything I've seen, including today's August CPI report, suggests that the soonest we're going to see a rate cut, in my opinion, just my opinion, is the middle of 2024. Well, I think that earlier this year, I don't remember when, which show it was that we did together, but we were like kind of laughing at the expectation that you'd get a rate cut as or soon as what was it? Probably now. I, I think it was probably. Uh, I think it was like November. Yeah, September, November. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And of course, that's completely not <laughs> not in the cards. I mean, I did see on the CME. Um, tool uh, mm -hmm. for for you know figuring out the odds the probabilities of likely increases it looks like the inc after today's cpi report um it's gotten less likely almost a lock that we're not going to have any change that will stay the same in september oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah but yeah. it did see 
an increase in November uh, potential. So, I mean, I think that that leaves investors in a weird spot. We're kind of stuck in this no man's land waiting for this. And I think if you look at the way stocks behave, just use the IWM or the Russell, Russell 2000 mm-hmm. or the S&P, we pretty much have made no headway in the market since mid-June. Uh, you know, just, yeah, true. no, you're right. You're right. Bang, July, bang, July bang, gains. Yeah, July gains were kind of taken out by August and early yeah. September. So, yeah, I, 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 you know, once again, the market's kind of in this holding pattern. You're right. Or, or as I like to say, Groundhog Day. Um, because it's, you know, it, it's going to be the same thing until we have a clearer picture. You know, there'll be some other things that happen. I, I think, you know, the current round of investor conferences are proving helpful to people. You know, companies are out giving their presentations, giving what they can subject to Reg FD in terms of additional color on the quarter. You mentioned uh, American. I think um, uh, Spirit Airlines came out today as well, updated their outlook. Uh, You know, Citibank is talking about a reorganization, speculation on uh, layoffs from Goldman Sachs, Wells Fargo CFO saying, "Ah, we might have to do some more trimming there too. So, you know, there's a bunch of stuff that we have to pay attention to to update our, and and this is the word I'm going with today, Todd, mosaic. Um, In the past, it's been tapestry, but I think mosaic kind of fits a little better. Um, Is is there anything, as we're kind of navigating the next week or the next two weeks till the end of the month, is there anything in particular that you're kind of zeroing in on? Well, no, I mean, we're all just now sitting here waiting for September 20th to make sure we don't get surprised with something stupid that, that you know, said by Powell in, in the like. I mean, I don't I don't know if there's anything in particular that's overly market moving. Uh, well, what it, well, hang on, hang on, hang on. Let's, let, let's just go back to the Powell and the 20th, right? So you mentioned a second ago that, and I agree that the Fed is not likely to do anything in September, okay? They're gonna want more information. So my view is that you know, I, I I don't do a good Powell impression, otherwise I would. <clears throat> but um, hey, I'm going to be a little more hawkish because some of the inflation data is going the wrong way. Uh, we're going to remain data dependent, take a long-term approach. We will continue to act as needed to get inflation to our 2% target. That's my Powell impression. Uh, yeah, I mean, and I heard it in Powell's voice, even though you didn't, <laughs> you, know, you know, I think one of the things as investors we have to think about is positioning. So, you know, you have to think about how are people positioned ahead of the 20th? And that could be bullish, in my view, because my assumption is that most people are kind of sitting on hands just to make sure that the 20th happens and there are no surprises. And if that's the case, then the impetus or the pressure or whatever would be to push stocks up after the 20th rather than to sell them off. So, you know, they're basically avoiding it into the news and then the news clears and then, you know, then you have this pent up demand sitting out there and they go, OK, I, I clear we could go. Now, granted, we got quarter end stuff going on. We got fiscal year end stuff going on. We've got other things that play into that at this end of September, but that's historically, I mean, it's not that shocking that October has been, you know, where we've seen uh, a reversion back to rallies after weakness in the summertime. And I think that, you know, perhaps the way that big money is positioned right now ahead of the Fed on the 20th may be supportive of the stocks. But again, everybody's crystal ball, especially mine is hazy. How does uh, a potential UAW strike and a government shutdown impact that thinking, Todd? 
I don't, I, the government shut down. I don't know. I feel like it's the crying wolf story every. Well, I don't, I personally don't think it's going to, I personally don't think it's going to happen. There'll be some other deal to kick the can down the road. Yeah. And, and, It'll be interesting to see what the timing is because it could come right in the middle of the election cycle. What happens if we get a UAW? I, I'm, this is just interesting. If we get a UAW deal done and they don't go on strike, you know, how are people positioned right now ahead of that strike? Is kind of one of the things I'm thinking about right now. And yeah, and if they're already kind of again, you have these. And I'm glad you brought the strike because that slipped my mind. You know, if you if you have these things that are creating uncertainty, you're less likely to increase your leverage, right? You're most likely to be deleveraged. You're less less likely to rein in your risk and hedge out your portfolio. We're talking big money here, um, folks. So um, big money, big money. money. So my, (laughs) my, my thinking there would be if we can get a deal done, people might say, okay, well, yeah, it's expensive, but the deal is done. Crisis averted. Well, we safe to go back to the market again after the 20th. So I think I let, let let's just break that down for the listener. I think that's good for the for economic expectations. I think that's good for the market, but I think the devil's in the details for say Ford, say Stellantis and General Motors because you consider what's happened this week, UPS is actually giving a presentation about the impact of its Teamsters contract and that stock is just getting hammered. So, you know, again, until we know the terms of any new UAW contract and understand the dollar impact, margin impact to those three companies, I think you got to stay on the sidelines. Well, certainly within the sidelines, on the sidelines in historically unionized industries. Yes, 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 yes. Um, I think that that that's. I think that that is is probably pretty wise. I mean, like I I wouldn't want to. I, usually, I don't touch airlines with a ten foot pole, anyways. But I, I certainly wouldn't touch them right now because you know now the flight attendants are are negotiating hard with American Airlines. You still got Southwest trying to figure out their pilot contract. Um, you know, and this is all going to heat up over the course of the next couple of weeks because you've got Thanksgiving travel season coming up, and you know that as that's a negotiating tactic. There's a reason. That these companies are kind of, you know, these unions and everything else, they're coming to loggerheads at this point but, in the year. Okay, but what about the demand side for airlines? And, and you know, you saw as just as well as I did the uh, July consumer credit data, right? Uh, consumers continue to lean into credit cards. I mean, it's it's well north of a trillion dollars now. Um, saving savings rates are falling. Disposable income is under pressure. We've got the return of. Uh, student debt loan payments. It has been a while since we talked, Todd. It's uh, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, student loan uh, debt repayments. You know, which depending on the study, and there's a bunch of them out there, could be 250, 300, 400 dollars for about uh, 17 to 20 percent of the U.S. population. Right? That's that's not insignificant. I think there's a reason that Frontier Airlines and Spirit Airlines also guided lower this morning. And it wasn't because of the increase in costs necessarily. It was because of demand and price problems. And there they serve the lower end market, mm-hmm, the people mm-hmm. who are more budget conscious. And those are the ones who are getting stung hardest right now. Um, and theoretically, the ones who will be most exposed to risk once those payments kick back in next month. Well, no, not, yeah, October 1st. Couple weeks. October 1st. Yeah, that's, that's a couple of weeks. So that, and remember too that... Um, Companies like Target, um, not Walmart, but definitely Target and a couple other retailers, 
definitely took a more cautious note about the back half of the year, in part because of the return of these student debt payments. So it, it, it's going to be something to watch. I, I'm a little concerned about airlines in general, um, just because it's been so strong. You know, it's the same thing with, with dining out, right? That area, consumer spending, retail sales data, you know, month after month after month since we kind of emerged from the pandemic, the numbers have been, you know, uber strong. Um, you know, so at some point, if consumers have to cut back, I think those areas could be impacted. Um, I'm a little more concerned about casual dining. Think of it as your, um, you know, your Darden restaurants, your Red Robin gourmet burgers, probably um, counter service, quick service, fast food, uh, Chipotle and McDonald's are going to hold up a little better. And FYI, we own both Chipotle and McDonald's in the Action Alerts Plus portfolio. Yep, I would agree with that. I think that um, you're spot on because if you look at that typical Applebee's style customer, they're probably one's getting squeezed uh, pretty hard right now. Um, I have never eaten at an Applebee's. Really? And 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 it's not that I it's not that I wouldn't eat at an Applebee's. I, there's just there there isn't one anywhere like in the vicinity of where I live. Here here's one Cracker Barrel. Crack? I've never eaten at Cracker Barrel. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny that's funny um i'm trying to think but uh you know what i haven't had either although i would love to is dutch bros there's not what they're not i don't think there's anything up here near me i don't think they're up here yet in New no, well in they're New not York. they're not out where i am uh in in the mid-atlantic region i can tell you that the the other one actually this this might give you some hope todd um you've been to california right uh yes briefly Okay, and what what is the burger joint that everybody goes to in California? Is, is that the In and Out? That's In and Out. That's right. My understanding is that they are moving their headquarters to uh, somewhere in like Nashville. That's weird. <laughs> yeah, it might be, but I, I it, again, if I'm remembering, because they're story, coming our way. <laughs> I yes, that is correct. Even Chick Fil A eventually found its way. I don't think I've ever had a White Castle. We are way off. <laughs> Todd, Todd, Todd. All right, all right, all right. Let's, all right. Let's, <laughs> let's uh, shift gears from this uh, tour to fast food. To um, yesterday was Apple's big, uh, it's big iPhone event. Uh, I want to say Wanderlust, but I believe it's Wonderlust was the name of the event. You know, just a little swap of an A and an O, and you could look foolish. But um, did you did you watch it? And if so, what did you think? I did not watch it, but I have read the coverage on it. There was some great coverage on the street.com. If you go to the website, uh, right on the main site, scroll down, there's a couple of great articles talking about the things that were covered. And we had someone there uh, from the free side of the, of the street.com was oh, there great. listening in and checking it out. So listeners, if, if you're interested in knowing what was real, go, go check those out. Um, I, I think it was a snooze fest. I don't think there's anything really dramatic that was announced that makes me go, oh, I've got a ditch my Samsung and run over and buy myself an Apple. Um, I'm not even Wait, sure wait, wait, what, what? Samsung? Oh, Todd, yeah. Todd. Yeah. yeah, well, my wife is an Apple user, but I'm I'm still still married to my Samsung and my Android. Um, but, you know, I, I don't, I, there's nothing there that would make me want to go. I mean, there's the camera on the Pro Max is really nice um, with a telephoto lens. Um, 
uh, you know, do I need 48 times Zoom? I may, I don't, you know, I don't know. I, I think mean, the question, Todd, to be flipped is, do you want anybody to see you in 48 times Zoom? Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> I do want them to see me carrying that titanium case. That looked pretty good. Yeah. Nice. So, so, um, I mean, so just, I mean, to me, it felt a little bit like a nothing burger. Um, and there were some jokes on Twitter about how, I guess one of the presenters said, all new design, and everybody's like, it looks exactly like the same phone I've had for you know, 10 years or whatever. But um, I, I think that one of the bigger surprises was that there were, weren't more broad increases in the US market to the iPhone prices. There was some chatter that we'd see uh, iPhone price increases across the entire line. We did not see that. I think only the Pro Max went up. It went up about, about $100. Um, you get more memory for that, so maybe it's a little bit of a of a wash. Although memory is cheap, so it's probably profit profit positive for Apple. Uh, they did increase prices more broadly in China and in India. So I think all mm -hmm. the all the models in China went up. Uh, I don't know if that's in response to the <laughs> to China's uh, you know banned news last week, telling some people not to bring their iPhones to with them to work if they worked in sensitive jobs or not. You know, but. Well, you know, that's that. Yeah, I saw that. And, you know, it's funny because originally it was in like uh, Chinese government positions and then they were expanding it out. And I was just thinking, if you work in the Chinese government, are you bold enough to bring an iPhone into work? I mean, I mean, think about that. I, you know, it's what's weird about the, a lot of these U.S. products, right, is that they're manufactured in China. Yeah. It's like, it's like, okay, well, yeah, I'm bringing in my Apple phone and it's a U.S. company, but all the components and the device itself is assembled here. Um, I don't know, maybe. I mean, they certainly want to, I, I'm going to butcher the pronunciation. I apologize to our overseas listeners. Is it H-U-A-W-A? Huawei? Huawei? I can never say it correctly, but anyways, they have a new phone out that has yeah, yeah. some, it's pretty feature packed and, you know, and it's, it's using Chinese components, um, homegrown, if you will. So maybe there was a little bit of a Chinese, China push. We're going to try and support this device over Apple. And that, there's a lot of things that could so be involved. I, I, I think there might be some of that, Todd, but I also think though that your point about Apple being a uh, major employer in China and an impact on the economy is true. Um, I wouldn't be surprised not not to go uh, not to join you in the uh, what's the word I'm looking for the uh, conspiracy camp, but uh, it's possible that the Chinese government is pushing back on Apple, rattling their cages, just as they're making noise about you know working to diversify their supply chain out of China. So you know we'll we'll see how this all plays out. Um, but I I too agree with you that the event yesterday was a little bit of a non-event. Um, I think the most exciting, sorry, let me rephrase. The people that were probably most excited by the event were the current owners of the iPhone 11, 12, and similarly older smartphone models, because they can get some pretty decent trade-in values for these older models, fostering the upgrade, either A to Apple, or B, if, if you're thinking about the carriers, getting more people onto the 5G network. Well, a lot of it will come down to what kind of deals the carriers offer this holiday season. Yeah, and I think that's something that we're going to have to watch really closely um, because that could dictate unit volume and that will dictate how much is being ordered from the 
the contract manufacturers. I, I totally love how you said that because um, it speaks to what I wrote yesterday, which is, all right, we've had the event, but the re but we what we really have to watch now is exactly what you said. We need to watch the carrier activity to understand the sell-through for these new devices. Yep, 100%, 100%. And, and just to go back to what you were saying before about, okay, so if you're a, a millennial or younger, and maybe you have a little bit of job feelings of jobs insecurity or not, but you're getting squeezed now because your student loan payments are, are kicking back in. Are you really going to go out and buy an upgraded phone? Unless, of course, maybe you do get a sweetheart deal from the carrier to do it. Well, you know, this is the one thing I think that needs to be pointed out. One of the last slides that they showed was the array of iPhones that you can buy. Everything from down from the iPhone SE, which I think is around like 469 starting, all the way up to the top tier new, uh, I hope I get this right, iPhone, sorry, iPhone Pro 15 Max, right? Um, which of course is going to be, you know, a thousand plus dollars. Let's let's just leave it at that. So, you know, there are price points and there are carrier financing deals, and you can even finance it through Apple if you want to use an Apple card. So I, I think, you know, pretty much, Todd, if someone wants a new iPhone, there are a lot of ways to get one. Yeah, want and need are two very different things. Correct. No, no doubt. I understand. But just but just remember, when I was teaching um, undergraduate and graduate classes, I at least once a year, I would always ask the poll, like, uh, it went something like this. If you had to give up one or two meals a week to ensure that you had your smartphone and your service, would you do it? You know, hands for yes. And invariably the whole room would go up. You know, you can't underestimate um, the want or the need for these devices in today's life. Speechless, yeah, huh? I don't, I think the only thing I would counter with is just that, you know, it's it may be one of those things where people say, well, this phone is, is still functional, it's still working good enough. <clears throat> Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I'm not. It just becomes an issue of, of whether or not, again, they can get a, a, a deal from the carrier that makes sense and how much money they're going to spend over the holidays. You know, if we see holiday budgets, really, I mean, retail sales, this is going to be a very interesting, interesting season. I'll be very curious. I don't, Chris, you probably know better than me. When does the uh, National Retail Federation, these other organizations, when do they come out with the predictions for the holiday spending forecast for the holiday season? Is it, I think we'll probably see that in the next six weeks i would imagine oh before then usually some of them come out as early as um, the beginning of october and remember too that amazon's going to have another event so they will likely pull forward some sales into october um you know it's kind of interesting that you're bringing this up because tomorrow september 14th we get the august retail sales report and i'm actually watching that for a couple different things remember july had the pull forward from august and september for back to school spending because amazon's Prime Day was in July, and we had competing offers, Walmart, Best Buy, Target, and the like. So, you know, there could be some wonkiness in the August retail sales report that could repeat itself later in the year. Stay tuned. No? Yeah, I guess so. I guess so. So, so let me let, let me end on let, let me end on this note, Todd, uh, with with a question to you, and then I'll I'll give my answer. Uh, I'll, I'll try not to ask the question and then jump your answer like I've been doing so far. I apologize. Um, not really. But here we go. Here we go. 
So September 14th, we have the August retail sales report. We have the August PPI report. If you had to pick one to focus on, Todd, which would it be and why? I'm going to say the PPI report because I'm curious to see, you know, how much of uh, how much pain our company is going to have to absorb or are they absorbing and if whether or not that's likely to flow through. And there is and there is some thought out there that the PPI is a little, little bit of a leading indicator for the CPI, which brings us back to what we were talking about earlier. Um, if I had to choose between the August PPI and the August retail sales report, I tell you, it is a tough one. And just given um, what we know is likely to happen and the time we have to the follow-up Fed meeting in November, I'm going to go with retail sales because I want to really understand is the consumer starting to cut back or not? To me, that's the big question. And, you know, it has a lot of implications. You know, you touched on some for the uh, back end of the year, but, you know, if the consumer is really starting to get crunched, it's going to raise some flags for housing, for travel, and, and other parts of the economy. So I really want to understand that. And I think probably travel would be the most interesting thing to me there, you know, because that has been such a bright spot. And I would imagine it's going to be one of the first things on the chopping block if people's are really, really feeling the strain. Yeah, so wouldn't it be great if we had a retail sales report that actually talked about that kind of stuff? Let's create one. No, no, I'm I'm, I'm serious. So like I used to, so in addition to um, the monthly retail sales report, I used to read it side by side with the MasterCard spending pulse report, which they no longer put out. And I think that's a travesty because they they would talk about, you know, restaurants so you can size up, but they would talk about travel and other things. I really do wish that there was another data source for that. So listeners, if you work for MasterCard. <laughs> or hey, <laughs> hey, Visa, why don't you start one? Yeah, let's let's create some competition here. Let's see. Let's see which one of our listeners can get this done for us. Ridiculous. All right, Todd. Um, I am actually going to be traveling in Europe the last two weeks, supporting some thematic indices that we support um, with, uh, sorry, thematic ETFs that support are supported by our thematic indices. So you and I will next be speaking, Todd, in October. Excellent. We'll have plenty to digest by then. I Great think so. as always, Chris. Thank you very much for having me on. Uh, Todd, uh, one, you know, always a fountain of information and insight. Readers, please, please be sure to check out Street Smarts over at thestreet.com. Todd's got some great insights every day. Um, and trust me, if you're not getting it, you are missing out. Also, be sure to visit thestreet.com and check out Action Alerts Plus. That's the uh, premium product that I manage along with uh, the larger AAP team that includes, help, help me here, Todd, Sarge, Helene, Bob Lang, Carly Gardner, Bruce Kamich, and from time to time, the one, the only, the Doug Cass. Oh yeah, it's 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 a power packed lineup, no question. It's great. You know, I, and you guys, I, uh, you know, give you a shout out. I mean, there's there's some fantastic content you create. One thing I really uh, I'm glad you've been doing um, lately that I found it really helpful is these um, podcasts with industry leaders, um, CEOs, and the like. I really do find a, tr a lot of additional value that you can extrapolate from that. So listeners. Uh, you know, go check out some of these other podcasts because you'll be, you'll be better off for it. And uh, if you do happen to join AAP, be sure to vote in the poll of the week. More on that next time.